Welcome back to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve. Just kidding. Now you might be thinking this doesn't sound like the soothing voice of Ollie and you'd be right. Ollie is actually the special guest on today's episode and has bravely handed over the hosting reins to me, his sister Sass. This week, Ol celebrates one year of working at Humans of Agriculture full-time and I had the pleasure of sitting down with him to have a chat about it. In our catch-up, Ollie reflects on the past year, what he's learnt since quitting a full-time job to follow his dreams, the highs and lows along the way, and what we can expect to see from Humans of Ag over the next 12 months. It was a privilege getting to sit down with Ol to do this and I hope you enjoy the chat as much as I did. As always, if you enjoy the episode, make sure to share it. I'd love to wrap up the downloads on this one and get some bragging rights overall. Enjoy, everyone. Today, it's 12 months since I left my old job at Auctions Plus and moved into Humans of Ag full-time. So I thought, what better chance to sit down with my housemate and my sister, Sasso? Hi. <laughs> now, you've been a co-host. You know, it was one of our best ever episodes that we did from Mum's House in lockdown. Is it? Yeah. Oh, not surprised, but Yeah. <laughs> Big shoes to fill. How are you going to go hosting on your own? Probably better, I think. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm a bit nervous, to be honest. Oh, yeah? Why? I don't know. The microphone in the face? I know. Well, I don't... Yeah, we'll see. Do you want to do some warm-up exercise? Like a... <laughs> well, we want people to listen to it, so I probably shouldn't sing into the microphone. Give it a go. Live that childhood dream. <laughs> <laughs> I know. This is a... Yeah, it's a big day for me today. Well, Sass, we're in your capable hands. We can just roll on into it. Yeah. What do you want to get out of today's chat? I think just the aim is to really get a reflection of your journey and Humans of Ag's journey like today and really focusing on the last year in particular since we've gone, since you've gone full time. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> feels like we in the we, house. Just like, oh my God, I wish I would stop talking. <laughs> so I thought I would kick it off by saying something that I don't think anyone's ever said to you on the podcast and that is, oh, you look a bit nervous. I am, yeah. Welcome to the Humans of Ag podcast, Ollie. Thanks, Sass. <laughs> All right. So to kick it off, the first question. So it's been a year since you've gone full-time with Humans of Ag. How does it feel to have made it through your first year full-time as a human of agricultural? Employee. <laughs> <laughs> Employee for myself. Yeah, that feels good. I know it's gone so quickly and I think so much has happened. And I probably, and I think today will be interesting. I've been trying to think about it as this milestone was coming, like just trying to think through what has actually happened over that 12 month period, what's changed, mm. what's probably the same. So yeah, I think it's, I don't know, probably doesn't really feel any different. Does it feel like it's been a year? Does it feel longer or shorter? I don't know. Time kind of just, I don't know, it doesn't feel like a time period. If I think about the amount of things, it feels like a very long period of time. So probably longer than a year. Yeah. So what was life like for Ollie this time last year, just before you went full-time, and what sort of space was Humans of Ag in? Life. So I was living in Sydney, living with a couple of housemates. Interestingly, like one of my housemates at the time, Jacko, had gone out into his own business as well. So that was pretty interesting. He'd gone out a month before me, and we were probably on like a similar journey. He had other people in his business, which was, has been really interesting to watch their journey and just how different it is going, I'll say, solo in the beginning. Mm as having other people around you. What was life like? It was probably a huge weight off, I think. Like where Humans of Agriculture was really doable was in lockdowns because there was so much time. It was just like finish the day job and roll into it and do three or four hours a day, sometimes like an hour or so in the morning, which was easy. It became a really hard juggle 12, 18 months ago, probably 18 months ago. And I think I probably wasn't doing as good a job as what I wanted to do. 
in my day job and Humans VAG was starting to get momentum and we had just started to, we'd won one contract, which was kind of like, I've probably said it to you so many times, but had these like little milestones and it was like, oh, if we get that, then I can step into it full time. And then these little milestones would happen and I'd just keep doing the day job and this. And then it kind of got to a point where make a choice, either go all in on Humans VAG, which was scary, or go all in on the career. And I don't know, I probably just thought like I wouldn't have, I would have left a lot on the table if I hadn't have gone down this path. Yeah. And so on on that, with your basically fork in the road of whether you decide, do I stop this or do I give it a go, was there a certain thing or maybe like an aha moment or something that you were like, oh, I'm really onto something here, it needs my full attention or I'm able to give it like a full-time go that you sort of like, yeah, it's time to do it? Or was it just sort of like a natural progression of like, I've been doing this for two or so years? Yeah, I think like it definitely started to like slowly pick up momentum and the whole thing was like, because there was no pressure to make money from it. I think if I'd come out of, say, uni or had come up with this idea in the early days and gone, okay, I'm going to a full-time life, there's so much pressure that it has to work or it kind of folds over. I think the piece of, so starting this in, starting it in 2019, building the audience slowly, like by the time it came to stepping out, what's that, say two and a bit years of really, I guess, testing it and going, is this thing going to work? Are people interested in partnering with us? When we started to work out that there was, I guess, different revenue models within it between like advertising and partnerships, but then also helping companies with their own content was like, actually, well, I think now it will work. Mm. And I think probably behind the scenes of all of that, because I haven't tipped in and gone, oh my God, I need to put in $50,000 or $100,000 to make this idea work. It's really, in the early days, it was costs were like website development. Other than that, it was so low. So- yeah, I think all up, I haven't put in my life savings. That's one thing I haven't wanted to do. I want to keep that part separate. So it was like the business has to be able to fund itself. And like I didn't pay myself a wage. When I stepped out full time, I didn't pay myself. It was like, I don't know, we might have made $4,000 a month for the mm-hmm. first few months. I think maybe, yeah, it was enough to pay rent. And that was all I was kind of taking out of it and living on savings. Was that something you planned from the beginning? Like you didn't want to be taking a wage? Was it until you became profitable or just you were so set on you don't want to be putting your life savings, as you said, into it. I didn't want to put my life savings into it. Part of it as well, I'd say I haven't really had, I'll say I've never cared about money. Well, I don't know, like I've never wanted to or been in a rush to buy a house or something else. Like if I want something, if I can afford it, I do it. If not, I won't like go and take on debt or whatever. So I was like at the point in time where I was stepping out, I'm still renting, living with friends in Sydney, really didn't have any expenses, my car, I own. In a sense, it was like foolproof and it still is. Like, I think there's probably this part of like the confidence in it of like there's only upside because if this doesn't work out, it will. But <laughs> if it doesn't work out, I've got all these different connections that we've made, so an awesome network. But I've got a whole other skill set that I've developed that I wouldn't have got. If I'd stayed in a, in a job working for someone for 12 months, wouldn't have learned about, I guess, the ups and downs of business. And I think in that side of things, I've grown so much, probably I'll say as a business person, which mm. sounds like such a wank <laughs> because, yeah, I don't know, just there's these little things where all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, like I'm actually thinking like an adult sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Scary. Who would have thought? Yeah. Yeah. Not me. Not you. Not mum. No one. <laughs> 
I do want to touch on the business aspect a bit later, but you were just saying like it was almost foolproof for you. You you don't have any massive commitments when you decided to go full-time. But was there any fear or anything that sort of scared you while doing it? I mean, a lot of people would probably think, oh, giving up a full-time job, that's financial stability or security. Did that worry you at all? Not really, because I felt like I was always going to, I was always employable. I made the decision to leave full-time work Hmm. and- I guess the seasons and things that were happening, I was like, well, if it doesn't work out, I can always just as quickly call a mate and go and do some sheep work or hop in a tractor and then find the next kind of office job or whatever it is. But I think there's also a belief like what we're doing, I think it's so simple, the kind of model that we're running with, but we know there are these problems and the hardest part is probably like, what is the thing that we're going to focus on? There's numerous problems that people in agriculture have been talking about the whole time I've been in the industry, content and I guess this curiosity, which is just part of who I am, there's a way to actually address this stuff. And I think what we're showing is you don't have to do it with huge budgets and huge overheads and stuff. Like it's literally about people and connections and stories and that can shift the narrative. So, yeah, were there any fears? Not really. And I think that's probably the part is that there's the belief that, one, we're in a space where there is a problem and an opportunity for that problem to be solved. But two, if it doesn't work out, you can always go get another job. There's, yeah, there'll always be another job. Very yeah. optimistic. So on that, if someone, if you knew someone who sort of had an idea or were wanting to venture out and try something themselves, <laughs> like following your footsteps, what's a piece of advice do you think that you would give someone on the cusp of doing that? Yeah, and advice is so easy. It's one of the things that, the beauty of having the podcast is I can always try and find people and then I can interview them to try and solve my own problems. <laughs> Free counselling. <laughs> Need to probably yeah. find a psychologist to get on the <laughs> other end of the microphone. My advice to someone else, I think, think through your problem, but then if you're going to do it, go all in. I think lots of people talk about passion. I don't think passion is going to allow you to build something because passion can kind of subside. There's probably elements here where it's like nearly bordering on unhealthy but if you're to go and chase something, you've got to be obsessed about it and take your time before jumping into it and think through it. I guess that's probably a little bit more risk averse than what I probably put out there. Like <laughs> I do lots of and lots of thinking and chatting to lots of people in the background. So do as much of that as you can. But when you make that decision, don't do it and try and go, oh, well, I'll do 25% of the time and I'll keep my full-time job. If you're going to do it, go and find out quick and go all in. Jump in the deep end and so where you learn swimming. to swim. <laughs> <laughs> or put on floaties. <laughs> so you've been doing Humans of Ag full-time for a year, but it, as you said, started as an idea, was it 2019? Mm-hmm. And then really took off in COVID during lockdowns. Do you think if COVID hadn't happened, you'd still be sitting here in the same position today? Or would Humans of Ag even exist or would it be like a later idea? No, nah, it'd be an idea that sat on the shelf. And I think... Yeah, what COVID gave me was so much time and removed all the distractions. For me, I think like I've probably had ideas the whole way through like through my life, whether it has been, I know when I first came down here to university at Marcus Holdham and... Shout out, Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> if you're listening, we know you are. <laughs> and saw like the drive-through coffee carts and then I went back home to Sydney and was like, oh, this spotting Gordon would be perfect for it. And even you and I at some stages looked at, do we go down the pathway oh, of a cafe or something yeah. and do like a paddock's plan? I don't, like, I think there's so many ideas. Yeah, it was that lack of follow-through and execution that just didn't exist. And there's no doubt 
that humans of agriculture wouldn't exist if it wasn't for COVID. Yeah, I guess thanks COVID. One of the silver linings, I guess. Yeah. And so we were living together back then that we were on Punt Road, I believe. And I remember your first podcast episode was with Mark LeBroy from Three Blue Ducks. And that was filmed in our living room, I think over Zoom on a laptop, no microphones or anything like we've got today. (laughs) How has the podcast sort of evolved from that first episode to now? I'll probably need to go back and listen to the first episode a lot more regularly, or at least those first few. I feel like Mark, it was either when I was having like a pre-chat with him, and I don't, to be honest, I don't even know. I think I reached out to him on Instagram. I don't know how or why he kind of responded, but it was awesome because he's such an interesting dude. But I think he was either walking around his house when I did the pre-chat or he was walking around his house when we did the interview. I can't <laughs> remember which one it was, but it was like it was in, I think we did it, recorded at like 7.30 in the morning probably on a Tuesday. I think oh, it was right a Tuesday. right before work, was it? Before work. Yeah. Because I was like, it was the only chance he had, but then it, there was no way I could do it during the work day. Yeah, looking back at that, I think the things that are the same, yeah, just that general like interest. Every person who comes on this show, there's something I want to try and learn about them, understand their perspectives, learn from their experiences, or at times looking for advice and the chance for me to give something back to them mm. is how do we share their story, but then also find that time, whether it's, on air or around the conversation to actually chat to them and yeah, get their two cents on what's happening. I guess we've got a little bit more sophisticated with microphones and things, but actually it's quite a basic setup really. Yeah. Keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Isn't that it? the same? Yeah. That's what I reckon. <laughs> so in the last year, you've not only gone full-time, but you've also become a manager. Hmm. And you know how you have a team around you that's continually growing. Side note for all our listeners, check the website and socials. There are some jobs available. Being a manager within your own company where it's basically everything leads back to you. There's no one sort of above you that you could <laughs> lean on. What have you learned as a manager in the last year? Yeah, I was gonna say, so the first time I did management, I'd say I probably wasn't very good at it. So if I look back at my time at Auctions Plus, why I don't think I was a good manager is because I didn't have confidence in myself at the time. And then so I think if I wasn't confident that I was smashing my job and doing really well, then my ability to kind of lead and help others be really good at theirs just wasn't there. Mm. It was probably just really more than anything self-taught. I don't think it was like incompetence because that would have been found out from the managers like that I had. But yeah, I think for me... The first time managing was all about confidence and going, okay, where am I at? And kind of taking stock of that to then be better. But managing people, it is, I think everyone says it's the hardest part. I'd say I'm still nowhere near where I want to be with it. Although it, like, I'm the person who makes the decisions and kind of the point of where problems and things <laughs> come to, I still do have so many people around me who I can send a text or jump on the phone or lots of, yeah, really awesome mentors who have given me advice on the people management side. So, yeah, it's a huge learning curve. There are parts of it which probably the most challenging part is it's the time it took to actually bring people in. And I think I've always done this. I'm always too slow. So I'm way too reactive with as the business is growing to bring people in. But, yeah, on the flip side of that too, it's the most scary because when someone comes and works for you and this is – our money and I guess it's up to me to find those opportunities and generate them like people's livelihoods and they're putting so much trust in Mm. me and this opportunity and you don't want to stuff it up for them. Like you don't want them to have a three-month, six-month, nine-month job on their CV. They can do that by their choice but I don't want it to come down to a matter of my mismanagement 
of the business or whatnot, or potentially even worse, like you have young people come in and then they're paying rent and it doesn't work out and all of a sudden these people have these costs and things and it's like, I don't know, you can really muck someone's life around. Mm. Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. A lot to think about, isn't it, as a manager? It's probably, I'll say, the worst part of it is that pressure that comes with knowing all these costs are going to be there and then... Also, too, knowing that at the moment, if I'm taken out of this business or something happens to me or whatever it is, what happens? Does this just stop? And But we're still going to have those costs. We're still going to have employees. So that's the part which I guess where I want to get to in 12, 18, 24 months is if something happens to me and I get removed, how does the business keep going? So we're not there yet. Can't lose that voice. <laughs> I went to, uh, just a little side note for the listeners, I went to a convention in Tassie, start of the year, maybe February, Ollie was um, interviewing Ned Brockman for the, is it the Dairy Convention? Australian Dairy Conference. Australian Dairy Conference. And he was introduced as the voice of agriculture. So <laughs> I was very surprised, not, sorry, not surprised, very proud. It's a big, it's a big thing for someone to say that about you. So it was very cool. Oh, I think Tom probably just read the wrong line. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, back to the questions. Culture, I know, is very important to you. You've got some great initiatives like the extra day off when it's your birthday so you can go and celebrate. You've got Wellness Wednesdays every week. How important is building culture to you as a manager but also humans of ag as a as a business? Yeah, so I guess this is the beauty of being able to create your own business and your own culture from the ground up. It's like what's the workplace that I've always wanted to have? A huge part of it is having gone from working for people and you're like, oh, why can't this workplace be more balanced in terms of delivering on purpose and employee satisfaction and everything? What I've learned is that all those things are really important to have, but having, I don't even know, I'll probably get this wrong and to be honest, this is probably where I'm still learning, but like you can have all these different incentives, but if the work's not getting done and you're <laughs> dissatisfying your customers, that business isn't going to exist. Hmm. And I think for me, that's where, and I kind of said it earlier, money didn't doesn't matter. The biggest thing I've learned is around sustainability, like financial sustainability is so important because then it gives you the options to do everything else. So for us, yeah, like in the early days, like how do I create this ultimate workplace <laughs> that has all these nice things? And probably that's part of my personality of how do I make people happy and yeah. make this a place where they want to come. I got it wrong though. Not in a big way, but it was like, I wasn't making decisions in the best interests of people's growth and also my own. So I'd probably like sometimes lean out when I should have lent in into conversations. And because I think so much of culture is not just about what you do, it's what you don't do. And hmm. it's the little, what might seem like a 1% or a 5%, but those 
little 5% is what makes you an organization that's incredible. It's not that you've got wellbeing Wednesdays and days off. It's actually by, I guess, the standards that you don't walk past. Yeah. So that's probably like a huge learning. It's great to have the incentives, but on the other side, like how do you create that accountability? And I think culture's built off accountability of yourself, but also how you hold others accountable in that. So yeah, the wellbeing Wednesdays, they offer birthdays. They're really nice things to have. And I think we probably like say on Wellbeing Wednesdays, like, do we follow it every week? Probably not because it's <laughs> like sometimes most weeks it seems to be. On a Wednesday I'm traveling. So although it's designated as an hour out of your work day, it's shifting that perception where it's not necessarily taking an hour out of your work day to go and do a gym class or something. For your well-being, it might actually be an hour to get away from your desk with a piece of paper and just go, what are my priorities? What's going to help me be in a better headspace if I can map it out. So sometimes that is work-related. Other times it can be getting a sweat on. So, mm. yeah, I think there's different ways and it's just being open to it. So Yeah. It requires a lot of balance and dedication to it that you sort of, you learn along the way. I mean, it's only been a year, so what you've done in a year is impressive. Think about what you'll do in the next. Yeah. I think it's so much of it is foundations, hey, and just mm. from there you can start to build, but. You've got to set yourself and start from somewhere. Yeah. Within the last year, you guys have already outgrown one office and you've moved into a new one. Down kicked in- out. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends how you spin it. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed that in the past week, you've actually brought in some plants into your office to sort of brighten it. I think the I think what you said is, quote, a woman's touch to the office because it was just a bit, yeah. a bit too Ollie, I guess. I went into Ollie's workplace the other day and he was telling me, he showed me the plants and he was telling me about them and you actually have some big plans on what you want these plants to do. Yeah. Well, they're these crawlers. So what I want it to be, we've got like a brick wall on the back and there's a couple of kind of whiteboards in there, but also our annual calendar. I really want to make them like grow up up some (laughs) wires. Wires aren't in there yet, so it's probably a little bit hard, but then I want them, I want it to be like a green window thing. Yeah, we'll see. And so... (laughs) If we're to place a bet, when if we catch up this time next year, a two-year anniversary, will those plants be doing what you want or will they even be alive? Yeah. We'll either be in a new office, <laughs> unlikely. But no, I think, yeah, there'll be some sort of growing murally type thing on the wall. Watch this space. Yeah, so for the listeners, because this is my podcast today, I'll just say we'll post a photo up on socials to show you how the plants, I guess they're before picture, and in a year we'll show you how they're doing. And speaking of socials, you've garnered quite a following on your Instagram particularly with some big names following you. Have you done an audit? (laughs) I haven't. I should have, actually. I should have done more research. But Mm. I, I can remember some names that you've been like, oh, my God, such and such is following me. Have you had any particular sort of fanboy moments when a notification has popped up to say blah, blah is now following you or blah, blah comments on a human zag post or something? Well, the first one that comes to mind is Sam Mack. I was so excited when I got him, <laughs> the weatherman. Sent him a couple of hats. I think Koshy stole them because I haven't seen a photo of Sam wearing them. Must have misplaced them or something. It's funny, the different people, some chefs and things that pop up and then sports people, a couple of Geelong cats, Richmond Tigers. Yeah, some cricketers and stuff. It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. It's so cool to see how far it reaches. Like, this is obviously an agriculture-based company, but you're reaching guys, yeah, as you said, in sport, in the media, everywhere. Yeah. 
a few politicians. Oh, wow. Prince Charles. No. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't make the coronation, but that's right. We had to record this. Priorities. <laughs> All right. So I've got three questions for you, more reflective questions on the past year. Is Humans Vag where you thought it would be today? No. So no. much further. <laughs> How good's that? Yeah. I think I've set targets and different things. And in these first 12 months, we've far exceeded it. Are you able to share with us, did you have any goals or aims you set yourself this time last year when you went full-time? I think I wanted to build it into being a sustainable business, so like that we had more income than our costs, so work in progress. I think like other parts were, yeah, go and see parts of Australia. A huge part of this was kind of not lifestyle-based, but just doing it in a way that gave me the chance to go and see things. and But, yeah, I definitely did want to build a team and a business out of it. So I think they're probably, like, overarching goals. The only real goal or, I guess, mantra thing I had last year, which has probably flown into, like, this year, was, um, yeah, like, just the saying I wrote on my windscreen on the 1st of January last year was, like, back yourself and see what's possible. And that was kind of this whole thing of head down and just hammer on. Be like a shark. I learned this the other day. Sharks can only go forwards. They die if they go backwards. Really? Shark mentality. There you go. Yeah. All right. So looking into the next 12 months, what can the HOA community expect from you guys in the next 12 months? First and foremost, a couple more faces. As we said, check the website, check the socials. (laughs) (laughs) Love to branch out and have some more voices. As in potentially co-hosts, other hosts. So Um, this is a trial run. Yeah. (laughs) How would that be? Imagine doing a job interview. It's okay. You're coming on, but you're co-hosting. We're interviewing this person today. You've got an hour to get ready and you're running the interview. I think I'd have to be good. I think I'd have to stop past a pub. (laughs) (laughs) No. So what do we got? We're going to start to do some more short, shorter series. We really want to grow. I guess there's three parts. Grow the broader communities connection into agriculture. So really want to up our game in our video content and what we're doing in that space across mainly TikTok and Instagram. Keep your eyes peeled there. Um, Will we see you dancing? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. We probably won't follow too many trends. We The careers in agriculture stuff, so we've just literally only just launched that. That's something I think can be a bit of a game changer in agriculture and we're going to not die wondering what we can do there. We've got another podcast as part of that, Careers in Agriculture. What's really cool is the just the performance of it. I think we've had like 60 listens to it and like 95% of the way through, there's only one job at it, it's our Careers in Agriculture platform manager. So we've had 60-odd people go and listen to it pretty well the whole way through and that's pretty exciting. Mm. want to do some more videos. want to launch something that's a little bit more seasonal for the end of the year, so we'll won't say too much on that because that's just... Stay tuned. Yeah. A little bit of video, a little bit of podcast. Yeah, I guess for us, the other two things, probably three things, is really about empowering others. So empowering people in our community with their stories and what they're doing. That flows into helping empower the team. So big kind of focus internally as well as we grow our crew within, helping them own what they do and back themselves and do some awesome work. And... The third part, yeah, is really going to be around how do we help showcase agriculture and promote it internally, creating content which is super relevant internal to industry, help people get across things that matter in the no podcast, et cetera, but then also take that out and that's part of, I guess, our jobs piece of how do we get and show agriculture to people 
outside our sector and see the opportunities for themselves within it. God, that's a busy 12 months. Oh, that's only until December. Oh, <laughs> no. oh that was just till Friday. Shit. Yeah, I've started to have a few more like social type event things in person around different locations. So would love any recommendations and towns and pubs and things where we can go and have some conversations. Yeah, take it on the road. Mm. Oh. Awesome, Sasak. Well, we're done. This is a bit oh, of a... Oh, um, sorry. It's, again, my podcast. I'll well, wrap you, it up. Well, you've got to keep things moving. Well, yeah, you, I was just finishing laughing. <laughs> God, runs a tight ship, this guy. <laughs> oh, thank you very much for coming on the Humans of Ag podcast this week. I mean, I know you're on it every week, but being on the other end mm. of the microphone, how'd you enjoy it? Yeah, it's not too bad. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all right. <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't, like, I guess there's part of me which thinks, like, is this just a big wank of, like, are people going to be like, oh, this guy is just full of himself? That's, about, I guess, the question in it. But at the same time, too, I think it's good and really cool to have you pose the questions and actually think back on what are the things that have happened. Because I think it's so, it's definitely something, I said it a couple of times and there's a couple of podcasts where I've mentioned it to guests. But, yeah, when I was living in Sydney, every time, like, we won a deal. Like I'd go and have a beer with a mate or we'd go and do something. There was Munro and I would always go and do something or Jack and I would always go and celebrate it. Now as we've grown, it's like those little things, that, yeah, we've lost that kind of sense of celebration. It's just become the norm. And I think mm. that's because we don't actually sit and reflect and go like, wow, this is what we set out to do. This is where we're at. Probably the other thing we didn't really touch on, the dark times and the challenging times. And there was a time back in probably Jan or February where like I sat down and was like, why on earth did I start this whole thing? And Oh, really? Yeah, like we just, and it was part of having like a team and stuff around. I was like, we're all over the shop. Are we doing what we set out to do where this whole thing began about sharing 10,000 stories and creating connections to people or are we literally just churning out content just becoming that? Mm. And so it was probably like one part where I was like super lost and just needed to get away from it all, sit there and just map out like this is why we started this is what we do this is how we're doing it and then i guess this is the part of the learning is then the team and it's the biggest benefit of having a team then we just need to go and get on with it and part of that has been that piece of well when people have started have i made it clear like this is this is the vision i've got this is the purpose of why we exist this is how we're going to achieve that purpose this is when it comes to how we live and breathe and show up in this place this is how we are expected to kind of behave and then how does that flow through to everything we do in terms of how we post and whatnot? There's been a couple of times where we've probably got a bit lost on that and that's been challenging, but mm. I'm sure it's probably not the only challenges that are going to happen or will happen. So, Well, it's good that you recognise it early because like, it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day runnings that you do sort of forget that overall vision of what you or your mission of what you're wanting to do. How important is it, do you think, to just stop and recalibrate and take a step back and just say, oh, this is the long-term goal. How are we tracking? Do you do that more often now since you've had that challenge? It's probably something I'm trying to bring in more. And it's like part of the conversation with Ben Dwyer of what I could see when I spent time with the Harvest Road team was their vision and their purpose of what they're trying to do as a business was so real that people can see, well, how is what I'm doing working towards that? So, Mm. yeah, if I think of what our... I'll say our big vision, the thing we're never, ever going to achieve at Humans of Agriculture is a world that's happier, healthier, more prosperous through agriculture. Like that's something which we will never have any real control over. But what we can do is, and that's our purpose, is to shift the stigma around agriculture and create a sense of community amongst the people who produce, move and consume food and fibre. 
So that's something we can do pretty well comes down to like out of our values. How is what I'm doing today, this week, next few weeks, this month, this project, helping to shift the narrative in agriculture and how's it creating a sense of community in that? And if we can't answer those questions, I think with these things, it's not just a words on the wall and let it go. But then I think also the balance is how you're bringing it up enough, but also that people aren't getting sick of it. And I think that's probably a challenge for the next little while is you've got to you've got to bring it front of mind for people. And you've, I'll say as a leader, as a manager, you've got to bring it into the conversations mm-hmm. and you've got to be super deliberate about your language that you use and reinforcing that part. Then as a team member, you've got to make those decisions too as well. Are you here for that or are you not here for that? And I think at the moment our team definitely is, but I guess at different times it'll be the challenge is who's on board for that because I think that's where and your culture will start to be affected by those people who aren't trying to create a sense of community, who aren't about empowering others, who aren't trying to shift the stigma of agriculture and they're just turning up to go through the motions. Well, then that's where that trade-off starts to happen and which there'll be more of us, but as a leader within the business and everyone can be a leader it's like if we're not heading towards that, it needs to be called out and we need to do it. But in order to make sure that everyone's across it, we need to be talking about it pretty regularly, I think. What do you reckon? I think, as you said, I think you need to, in order to move forward, you definitely need to look backwards. There's so much happening day to day and everyone is so busy that you do lose sight of those big, not big ticket, but big picture things. So I think it's always so important just to take a step back, see where you've come, see where you're wanting to go and are you on the right path in order to get there. I think like, well, from an outsider looking in and seeing how you work, I think you're definitely taking the steps. You're in the right direction. You've achieved so much in the past year. It sounds like you've got a really clear direction of not just where you want to go or humans of ag, but your team as well and what that's going to look like. Mm, I hope so. Yeah, and it's something we'll keep working towards. One day I'll make myself redundant. <laughs> <laughs> is that the goal, is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I want it where other people can come through because the other thing, I don't know, like there's passion and fire and things fade over time Mm. or how do you keep doing what you're doing how are you finding those people who can come in and either reinvigorate that flame add fuel back to it or bring in their own energy and enthusiasm so Mm. I don't know I think that's probably like the other part is super consciously and thinking about it it's probably why my dating life's so bad always (laughs) thinking about contingencies (laughs) but um there's always that like thinking in the back of my mind of what's plan b what's plan c what's plan d Mm. and yeah, I think this is something where I'm always creating options around me. So we're never just going to fall over. If we go down that path, we're going to go that way and then move really quickly to keep making it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I could keep this work, <laughs> keep the workload up forever. <laughs> <laughs> One final question. When you were this time last year, when you, you were working full time, you were doing Humans of Ag on the side. Like, as you said, you interviewed Mark 7.30 in the morning, right before you have to leave to go to work. And I know you were so busy. You were literally working every minute of the day. Are you almost in a way less busy now that you only have to focus on one thing? Or do you think, has it almost created more work? Because now this is, as you said, it's your obsession. Yeah. I, don't know, I hate the word busy. I reckon busy is such a cop out. Mm. I do think I still have the ability to kind of walk away from it at times. Yeah. But I'm always wanting to come back to it. Like I'm not walking away and just going, oh, hands in the air. There's probably more things now occupying that thought and it's like, well, actually, probably like a downside, I guess, of having your own business, but maybe everyone does it in when they're running 
areas of businesses and have that kind of financial <laughs> bit, you mm. you lose the ability to be present because for me, I'm thinking, well, we've got some awesome stuff happening this week and next week. And I can see now that May's really busy, June's busy, August is going to be really busy, September, middle of September, we start to dry up. So then what are we finding for September, October, November, knowing December, January is going to be a difficult time of year. So like you're never actually present. I reckon that's, I'll be interested if other people are always thinking that way, or is that just part of it, which I guess scares me is you like working and creating this thing now. Do you actually even get to enjoy it though? Because you're building up this pent up anxiety in the background of (laughs) how do I solve that problem? And you're trying to solve problems that are at this stage, they're four months away. And then does that time horizon start to be like, oh, well, trying to solve problems two years before they even happen and mm. whatnot? So, yeah, I'd love to know, do people, how do people stay present? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's where today's been so good, being able to take, what, an hour out of your day and just reflect on where you started and how you got to, to today. I'll have to change the voice so I can actually listen back to it. Oh, is, it, is my voice really that bad? <laughs> I'll say my voice. Oh, <laughs> No, I was going to say, you have a nice, like, deep voice. I have, like, this high-pitched, what does mum always say? Shrill. Oh, that's, <laughs> thanks, mum. Yeah. She'll be listening, so. Mm, she will be. <laughs> she listens every week. I think that's probably a really cool part, too, is just how involved, like, our family is in this. Yeah. On that as well, your community is so supportive and engaged. How much does that mean to you? Yeah, it's huge. And I think it's probably, like, one of the downsides as well, but it's, like, wanting to create something which other people love as well. So you're, like, seeking that approval and so mm. trying to create something which other people love but I think nothing I think like being able to look at say like a recent story over the last few months like Joe Treasure talking about her experience as a female farmer and a female shearer and what she's done but then it's when you look at how these things are amplified so we didn't spend any money on paid I should really know I should know boosts but the results that we get because they're real people's stories and then real people share these real people's stories and then they add their own take to it or they say, oh, I'm so proud of where Joe's come to or how amazing is this story. Like the results we got like that month, I think we had half a million impressions on it. Wow. Like, we're not spending any money on marketing and trying to push it out. This is It's genuinely just about Word people of and their stories and the impact of that's really huge and I think that's probably the coolest part. Mm. And that's probably the part which gives me like – like anyone can come in and do this and share stories and things and there's lots of people that do it. So it's just a matter that we're just one kind of part of that puzzle and we just keep bringing people back in towards the stories that we're sharing. Mm. I think that's where you've really hit the nail on the head is that you managed to find such a diverse range of people within the industry every week to share their story and you're sharing the story of genuine people who have a genuine story to tell, which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, I know I've learned a lot from all different areas of agriculture listening to your podcast, so you're doing great work. Thanks, Sasso. And I think that's the thing. Mm. It's like the, we'll call it the extraordinary, but it's like the extraordinary is extraordinary. Mm. And that's just like everyone has a story to share and everyone, if your story can impact and change the perspective or shape the perspective or get someone more curious about something, like I think that's the impact because it's like if you focus on how can one person learn something from this conversation, then not trying to influence thousands and whatnot. It actually gives you the chance that, oh, that person can reach out to me and you can have one conversation from it. And then off that, maybe that person has one more and you start to create this multiplier effect. So, mm. Well, on that, all, I think that's a good spot to wrap it up. One more one more story done in the journey to 10,000. So thank you for joining us on the Humans of Agriculture <laughs> podcast today. It's been a pleasure having you. We always sign it off like we're on the news, so can you just do that? 
Oh, yeah, sorry. I have been practicing this. Why don't you create something here? Signing off from the 6pm news. <laughs> this is Sasaka Laleve signing off of the special edition of the Humans of Agriculture podcast, Ollie's one-year reflection. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and you currently don't follow us, please subscribe to our social media channels. You can follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and the website. <laughs> I think that's all of them. In all seriousness, all well done on everything you've achieved, not just in the past year, but in the past, was it four years since you've started Humans of Ag? You've um, come a long way. We can't. We all can't wait to see where you go to next. Thanks, Hasso. Thanks for your support and everyone else's and for our listeners who have listened this far. <laughs> see you next week. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye.